welcome to Koshian Cast, the weekly sports anime fan podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me is a very special guest, Stephanie. Hi! <laughs> so, you might have expected Matt, because it's always Matt on the other end of the line, and he will be with us shortly, uh, but the question of the week for, you know, this fourth week of the summer anime season uh, related to our partners. So uh, it was the third part of our, our question from earlier from a listener, and he asked what our partners thought of uh, the podcast. Um, and so I have a partner, and her name is Stephanie, and she's my wife. I took some time off uh, in April to get married to her. Uh, and she's, you know, been aware of this pretty much from the beginning. So I, I'm interested, Stephanie, if you'd like to describe what's your perception of Koshian cast. Uh, wow. Well, first of all, I'm flattered uh, and honored to be included on the yeah. podcast. You're the to... first non-Matt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm I'm curious as to this listener, you know, what prompted him to... Uh, think about your significant others but um yeah i don't know honestly i would say my thoughts about the podcast maybe start with my thoughts about anime which wasn't much until we started dating right (laughs) i never watched anime i didn't know anything about it i still know hardly anything um so I'm just glad that you have somebody else to nerd out with. Exactly. Yeah, right. Right. Because the, the alternative is me having to talk to you about all this stuff. And uh, me like nodding and like kind of smiling and be like, sure, okay. Right. But that, that's the thing though, is that because of Koshi and Cass, there have been a few shows that you've followed along with that you might not, I might not have gotten into. Yeah. You might have watched otherwise. That's true. And I feel like through that, then I've also learned a little bit about like Japanese culture, which is fun. Mm-hmm. And just something, yeah, being exposed to something new I would never have sought yeah. on my own. So that's exciting. Yeah, and now we can f- sing the theme song to Yuri on Ice <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, Even though I'd mumble like most of the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I, I don't mind leading on that one. So... <laughs> I guess, I guess my other thought is, how often do you feel like uh, me having to record this silly podcast once a week uh, gets in the way of things or makes life difficult? Mm, not very often. I think... I don't know. I guess sometimes the thing that isn't the most annoying is just that you talk for like over an hour in our small we, house <laughs> we, tr- we try to keep it under an hour now but yeah we will and I, that's hard for me then to focus on other things when you're when you're talking which is fine but that's yeah it's very minimal in terms of a distraction yeah we do have a, a pretty small space but yeah. uh yeah i i can i can definitely see that and you know i'm we're, we're trying to do it when you know people aren't busy but i do appreciate your generosity in allowing me and my friend matt to do this silly thing we care about. Yay, somebody's got to care about sports anime. Yeah, So exactly. why not you? Why not us? <laughs> All right, well, Stephanie, I appreciate your time. Uh, I appreciate Thanks. you. Thank you. Uh, and I'm going to pass it over to the other Matt. Bye. Thanks, Matt and Stephanie. 
So, to follow up on that question there, uh, since it was directed towards both of us, uh, my partner thinks nothing, because I don't actually have a partner. Uh, I am currently single, and uh, I do have a roommate. Uh, he doesn't really care at all about the podcast, to be honest. He's maybe watched like an episode or two with me, or he's kind of come out into our living area and noticed me watching. He's like, hey, that looks stupid. Uh, but that's about the extent of what he's done. Cool. So thank you so much for the questions, Matt. Uh, or Matt L, as it were. Uh, so if you have any more questions, please send uh, send us some questions to uh, koshiancast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear more from you guys. You know, it's always super fun for us to get those types of questions from y'all. Uh, cool. So going on to our new episode, we are on week four of the summer season covering all anime from July 23rd to July 29th. Um, so you may have noticed that uh, Matt has not said anything in probably over about a minute now or so. Uh, so he and Stephanie had some personal business to attend to over the weekend. Uh, so I will be covering uh, Welcome to the Ballroom and Dive by Myself. Uh, we will be doing that later in the episode. Uh First, we're going to be covering Fastest Finger first, uh, Big Windup, and Clean Freak Aoyama. One quick thing to note, we had recorded this a few days ago. Unfortunately, we only noticed now that we'd lost about 15 seconds of audio during the dis discussion of Fastest Finger first. We'll put a time code in the, uh, in the notes at the bottom, but just keep that in mind that when Matt starts talking about... Uh, Certain relationships to Fukami, there is going to be a cutout there. So, anyway, uh, with all that in mind, why don't we quickly move on to Fastest Finger First? Right, so we're going to start off with Fastest Finger First, episode four. Uh, this episode has really two main sections. The first section is focused on Koshiyama and Inoue. Uh, deciding ultimately and not surprisingly to join the quiz bowl club um, so they f spend their first meeting learning some of the basics about quiz bowl about how different questions are structured as well as having a mini quiz bowl session uh, to help learn some of the differences between styles of questions um, then in the second part you have a couple shorter segments um, you, you see some cutaways with uh, Fukami's brother, uh, possibly. You see Fukami talking with um, her friend Yuki about how Fukami actually wanted to go get to Asagaoka initially. Um, and then the episode ends with a mysterious girl who appeared at the beginning of the episode riding on Sasajima's bike showing up and uh, eating Koshiyama's lunch, uh, talking about electronics, and then running away. Um, and the episode ends with uh, Fukami upset for reasons she does not completely understand about how some other girl was eating Koshiyama's lunch and it wasn't her. Right. So, I'm kind of of two minds with this episode. Um... I did like this episode overall. I thought it was another fairly strong episode. I liked seeing a lot more of their daily life. I like kind of how they're sort how 
they're portraying uh, Buso uh, High School as being the sort of underdog school. The fact that they can't even afford like the uh, the quit like the quiz equipment. Yeah, the buzzers. You, yeah, they don't yeah, have I, their own buzzers, so I didn't mention it. But when they do their little mock round, they're just using a calculator. So they right. they all press on a calculator, and whoever presses a number first gets to answer the question. Right, exactly. And and I like I I think that was actually the strongest scene in the episode. Just like their little uh, their sort of beginner's quiz game. It established a lot without feeling too needlessly wordy like i really liked sasajima you know kind of explaining to them it's like why do you people care about winning like you don't really know quiz bowl yeah exactly Uh, yeah you have to learn about how to play quiz bowl before you can worry about beating someone um right what what i what i was gonna say about it kind of it stuck out to me was the pace that might have been the worst sentence i've ever said <laughs> because <laughs> Matt, your worst sentence is still probably ten times better than probably some of my normal sentences. So you're good. Oh wow, thanks. <laughs> um, the the pacing of the episode was something I, I appreciated because it has a balance where it still feels like there's some forward momentum to the show, right. while at the same time it's not rushing. You know, right? You could see it would be very easy for them to. Like, have the, you know, the introduction, they join the club, and then effectively have a fast-forward where they're getting ready to go to their first real tournament by the end of the episode or something. Um, and a lot of shows rush rush people straight into competition uh, before they've really established the characters or established how the competition even works. I'm looking at you, welcome to the ballroom. Um, and... I, I, I applaud the show for not feeling that pressure to to jump right in and for even having a character say, like, uh, we're not ready to compete until you understand what you're doing, you know? Right, basically. Like, hey, you know what? Uh, we need to, like, you know, we need to, you guys to actually develop your love for the game first. Like, you need to figure out why you guys are actually playing. Like, right. you, you haven't really earned the right to act, like, you haven't really earned, like, the desire to win or lose yet. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciated that, and I liked how, um, during this quiz game, it kind of came out how, like, each of these different players, you know, they're all gonna have their specialty specialties, like Koshiyama's going to be great with, like, history stuff and, like, classic classical literature. Uh, Fukami is more, like, style of life, that sort of uh, subject. Well, and she knows the classics, so... Right. That, and that's she knows, the big like, thing, is she understands quiz bowl, basically. Right. Yeah. And then we also have Inoue, who I, uh, you know, he was kind of being built up as being a joke character. He still kind of is, but I like that he still has a niche niche on the team, because he knows like the like the weird nerdy questions that they sometimes throw on there because let's face it all of the uh the quiz bowl t- you know like anybody who's into quiz bowl is probably also like a secret otaku right or maybe not even not so secret so you know it's like so he's good at those types of questions yeah so you know he has a very specific niche and i like that too because it was actually built up over the course of the episodes without really beating your head on it or beating you over the head with it and it kind of, this episode kind of established okay these are what, like, every person on this team has an established role. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I And I like that. I like that a lot when everybody on the team, like, kind of feels like they, they have a sense of purpose for being there. Uh, 
And, you know, I, I like how they had some undertones there, like, of, with, like, you know, kind of building up more backstory for the characters. You know, we, you know, we don't know what's going on with Sasajima and this one girl who's really into electronics. Yeah, uh, you we see don't... her riding in on the back of his bike, and everyone's wondering who she is, but everyone's also afraid to ask them what their, the nature of their relationship. Right. Like, uh, this is partly uh, paralleled uh, because... Koshiyama shows up riding on the back of Fukami's bike, and so then right. everybody starts making assumptions about them, uh, and right. they're like, oh, it's not true, it's not anything, whatever. Uh, but of course, they're doing the same thing to Sasajima. Right, exactly. Um, and, you know, I, I like the stuff that, you know, I like having this implication that there's more going on with Fukami. Like, I, I really do appreciate having a character like Fukami, like having a female character like her, who seems to have her own very well-established backstory for the team. You know, she's just not one of the girls. You know, it's like, oh, I love Quiz Bowl, but I don't want to compete with the boys, you know, that we kind of see a lot. Like, yeah. she has her own very rich story. Like, Koshiyama's probably, like, the more generic character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's there to be, you know, the eyes of someone with no experience learning everything right. for the first time on the, you know, on the viewer's behalf. Um, but Fukami, she's got a lot coming into this, and I think the revelation that she has an older brother who's in Quiz Bowl at another, at like a, a boy's academy, right, is an interesting one for right. two characters. Because one, it shows that, you know, Fukami got into Quiz Bowl probably because right. for school with him. Uh, so it's not clear what made Sasajima leave that right. team. Um, and exactly what is he trying to accomplish with the Buzo? Right, you know, it's like every, it's like, there's a very rich history to all of these characters, like, and I think that's, that's really fun. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I like learning more, it's like, I actually enjoy learning more about these characters. I enjoy this sort of mystery that they're building up, because, you know, they put in the work to make you care about these people. Um, I agree. Uh, do we want to discuss the one thing we're not sure whether yeah, or not we care Yeah, you go about? on ahead and do it, because I think you're more opposed to it than I am. Yeah, so, at the end of the episode, you know, they, they have this sequence where the, the mystery girl who is riding on Sasajima's bike, she shows up in the library, um, and she asks if she can have some of Koshiyama's lunch, because she spent all her money on circuits <laughs> i guess and uh and didn't have money for lunch and so koshiyama's like yeah i wasn't gonna eat it all anyway so she eats his lunch um and they're sitting closely and then fukami shows up and she's like oh what, what, what what's going on right you know um and she so she reacts a little dramatically to seeing some other girl eating koshiyama's lunch and so she runs away and as she runs away she says I haven't eaten even eaten your right. lunch yet, uh, and I immediately. I, I know I was there for that. Well, you were. We were. Yeah, we were. We were. We were simul watching, and so I groaned because I love what they're doing with Fukami's character. I didn't want her just to sort of devolve into being someone who's super into Koshiyama right. for no reason. What, what, the only mitigating factor was that right after that she says. Wait, what do I mean by that? <laughs> um, you know, so clearly she doesn't even understand why she's reacting right. the way she is. So the thing the thing I like about that, I guess, is that it's not as though she has been pining for Koshiyama right. in secret or something. It's that she 
doesn't understand her own feelings, which I guess is probably the fundamental, like, status of being a teenager, Um, right? And I guess I don't really mind it either, because I did kind of feel like over the course of these past couple of episodes that they've been built... Like, I kind of figured that they were going to be building for something between Koshiyama and Fukami. Uh, And so, on one hand, I'm kind of... It's kind of refreshing to see them dealing with it so early on. Um, on the other hand, I do know what you mean. It, there is kind of something like, are we really doing main and uh, main male and main female together, like character together, like already? Like, have we really gotten to the point where that's going to be an effectively like believable scenario for the two of them? Like, I, I appreciate that Fukami does like. The beginning of this episode had, like, Fukami talking to Koshiyama and kind of airing some of her grievances about, like, how the other other kids in the class probably think she's a weirdo and that Koshiyama's the only one who doesn't seem to think so. Um, or, you mm-hmm. know, she's kind of, like, she's kind of trying to get Koshiyama to be like, you don't think that of me, right? You're like, you don't think I'm a weirdo for it, right? You know, Koshiyama, like, he's a little afraid to respond at first and then as she's walking away, he, you know, he manages to kind of cheer her up a little bit. So, you know, again, I don't think it's unearned from her. Like, I appreciate that they've actually shown these two characters attempting to, like... You know, they are communicating with one another. You know, they do talk about their problems with one another. Yeah, they both are kind of odd ducks who are figuring out how to, like, be social and be in high school. And, you know, it's not natural or easy for either of them. Right, but still have this very... Uh, but yes, they'll have this very nerd. This like you know they want to be social, they want to be you know liked by their classmates, but at the same time they have a very, I mean let's face it, a very nerdy like hobby. You know that's you know that's what you know that's what they really love to do. You know they like studying trivia. Yeah. Um, um, here's some other trivia for you, Matt. Oh. Uh, did you know that Clean Clean Freak Yama Kun <laughs> is still airing despite everything we've. <laughs> wished for <laughs> i don't know if that's really trivia but i mean did you know I guess that it is a... this is a sentence that i'm saying <laughs> matt you're starting to slip on your sentences okay I, I i tried to cover for you before but you're uh you're slipping oh darn well okay. then i guess you can take over okay well fine so this is episode four of clean freak aoyama uh, this is not about aoyama this is about a dude named narita who is also another clean freak, but his difference is that he won't show it to everybody. Uh, he refuses to let anybody know about his uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder. Uh, and so the entire episode is about him sort of silently competing with Aoyama. That Like, Aoyama seems to accept him. Or, you know, everybody seems to accept Aoyama, but nobody seems to really notice or care about Narita. Uh... The very end of the episode has this whole controversy where somebody appears to have stolen the girl's gym clothes. Everybody naturally assumes it was Narita because he's the only one who comes in so early in the morning. And uh, Narita, like, you know, he's trying to deny it, but nobody believes him. Oyama saves him by finding the clothes because they were put in a different locker. And uh, that's kind of... Where it ends, there's this whole subplot as well about Narita playing this online game and thinking somebody is Aoyama, but he's too weird to be Aoyama. Turns out he is Aoyama. Yeah. Yeah. So... There's a lot going on. Uh, there's a I lot mean, going on, and a, but also nothing going on. Yeah, it, it's it's funny because 
there's a lot of different plots and i wrote down almost nothing from the episode because i was still (laughs) you know i was just sitting there watching and i'm like what do i do with any of this you know right like what's this story like so the the first question that i wanted to ask you is um is this a sports anime i i mean it is we have a tournament structure to the series they've already shown that Except there was literally no soccer balls in this one. I mean, sure, but I mean, it's not like every episode of March Comes In Like a Lion had, like, uh, Ray playing chess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but it, at oh, least sorry, it felt... Shogi! Oh my god. Yeah. It felt <laughs> like there was at least some character progression. This one, I mean, how often are we going to see Narita in this show that we right. need to spend the fourth episode discussing the fact that other people are germaphobic too and apparently it gives you superpowers of cooking so yeah there's a bunch of stuff you couldn't even bring up because it's just this series of randomness like there's a whole scene where the entire school ditches class because they smell how good aoyama's pork miso soup is and they forcibly occupy the home ec classroom until narita and aoyama can feed all of them with produce stolen from the cafeteria (sighs) which i I mean it you you get to the end of it and you're like why why did any of that happen why do i care about any of this and the answer is i don't like (sighs) Like, it makes sense in the context of it being a comedy, I guess. But the problem is the jokes aren't funny. None of it's funny. It's like the fat guy smells food and wants to eat a lot of it. And then everyone else smells food and wants to eat a lot of it. Right. Like, where's the That's the the whole joke. (laughs) Like, there's another one. There's another one. It's, uh... Like, Narita starts reaching out to Aoyama a little bit after their little weird, like, passive-aggressive cooking battle. Yeah. And he asks uh, Aoyama, like, he has, he made, Aoyama made him a little bit of, like, cocoa or coffee or something like that. And in the foam, he drew a little animal in it. And it was, and, like, what Narita, he goes, teach me how to make a raccoon in the foam or with the foam. Uh, Aoyama's response is, it's a cat. Commercial break. Yeah. Like it like like that was their big punchline that they ended the first half of the episode on. Yeah. Like was that a joke? Aoyama's bad at drawing cats? <laughs> or like Narita thought that was a raccoon like ni- neither one of those jokes is all that funny. Like well, it's, it's not It's not at all funny. It, it's it's just it's, it's unbelievable. Like it's, and it's the, treating the, it as a punchline, but there's not that's not there's no punchline to it. Exactly. There's nothing to it. Um yeah, and they have this totally manufactured conflict at the end of the episode where a girl can't find her gym clothes and they are convinced that someone must have stolen them out of her locker. They accuse Narada because he's the first one there, so he's the only one who could do it without anyone seeing it and they're all like oh yeah he's creepy and then all the boys tackle him and Aoyama shows up having retrieved them from somewhere else because he's Aoyama and he just knows the answer to every question pretty much uh and and again 
all it does is Aoyama's like, oh, do you want a towel to clean up, fellow clean freak? And he doesn't say that, but he just implies it. Right. And then Narada's like, uh, what are you talking about? I will never reveal who I am. And so we get to the end of the episode, and what have we learned? Uh, Narada exists. Right. And, um, Aoyama may or may not play an online RPG in which he has a very different personality. No, I think that that was confirmed because the name, because so there was a, the subplot in that with that RPG was that Aoyama, like there was something built up about how uh, Narita had like this engraved keychain of sorts that yeah, had like his I mean, character name on it. So the, the long, long story short, because it sucks um, <laughs> is by the end of the episode, he sees that there's uh, a keychain from the game, and Aoyama has it, and his character nickname matches the guy that uh, Naruto met online. Um, but apparently, you know, Aoyama's online personality is totally different from his real life personality. What? And I don't know how Aoyama has time to like be obsessive about video games and like a professional tier soccer player and cook all his meals and show up early for school so he can clean the classroom and like they're just turning him into a a superhero with the most random and pointless powers right like i will say because i think the point of that online game was to show that like that entire sequence was to show that aoyama is like trapped by his ocd like this is like his online persona is supposed to be who he would be if he wasn't so obsessive-compulsive, apparently. That's what, like, Narita was saying, like. Uh, uh, but, like, that's not interesting? Yeah. Like, I don't, like, that would be interesting maybe if I cared more about Aoyama, but this is a, this is a comedy, like, this is about goofy situations. Yeah, and also the show has given me no reason to, like, treat Aoyama like, a right. fully human character, you know? They, right. they treat him as a setup for gags. They don't really right. treat him like a person. Yeah, exactly. And it's like... And first, it's so in that regard, it fails as a character study because I don't care about the character. As a gag comedy, it fails because that's the weakest punchline. Oh, this guy who looks like Aoyama, like, but acts weird. But it's Aoyama after all! Yeah, exactly. It's like, I thought it would have been funny if it was some sort of weird Aoyama fanboy who was, like, pretending to be Aoyama. Again, I understand the point, but it doesn't, it can't decide if it wants to go full comedy or, like, full drama. Like, a full character study of somebody with obsessive-compulsive tendencies. Yeah, and again, at the end of the day, the problem remains that they're treating his germophobia, or whatever they want to call it that week... Uh, as a gag, not as a real issue that he deals with, really. You know? Right. Um, but one thing I do really want to deal with, really, is episode 17 of Big Wind Up. Well, then why don't you talk about it? Well, then why don't you talk about it? Uh, I will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Um, sorry, when you, you said, you. when you said that, I was thinking of, like, you know, when kids say, you know, well, why don't you marry it? <laughs> I'm like, oh, if you love Big Wind Up so much, why don't you move? You know, so. Right, no, I hear you. Uh, so here we are, and here <laughs> I go. Um, so we're at the top of the fourth inning against Tose. 
Abe and Momoe sort of reflect, and they come to the conclusion that Tose has been striking out on purpose. They're trying to see as many pitches as possible just to learn about how Mahashi pitches. Um, so they feel like there's about to be a turn in the game. Um, Nishiura gets up to bat, but they're not able to get any hits uh, off of Junta. Uh, he's becoming less predictable with his sequencing. Um, and so when Tose comes back up to bat, they're given this sort of rant slash motivational speech uh, by their coach, telling them just to hit ground balls and uh, make it make it difficult for them to field because the ground is so wet. Uh, they, they come up and they're able to get some people on by bunting and stealing, so their whole strategy of hitting it hard is sort of given way to hitting it as soft as possible and trying to just beat them out with a sprint. Uh, by the end of the episode, uh, Tose has runners on second and third. Uh, they get a very light hit straight back to Mahashi, uh, but he's able to dive, throw the ball home, and get the runner out. So now there's two outs with runners on first and second. Um, but the inning isn't right. over yet. Um, so I think my main takeaway from this episode was that it kind of like, in one way, it built up it built up Mihashi a lot because he kind of saved their butt at the end. Like he's been kind of saving them a lot, mm. actually. I've noticed throughout the entire course of this game, like because you know, in last episode, it was him who kind of faked them out and like, um. You know, it was kind of his weird, like, sort of crazy fake-out with the, uh, with getting into the pickle and allowing, uh, the one-runner to steal home. Yeah, Hanai. Hanai, yeah. Uh, and then this episode, like, they were prepping, like, the entire basis of this episode was Momoe building up Abe to be like, you need to make the call to let them steal a run. Like, we can give up one, but only one, and I'll let you make that call. Uh, and this episode yeah. ends with Mihashi making it so that they did not have to actually give up that run. Like they still have some wiggle room. Mm -hmm. um, and I like and I like that build up of Mihashi. Like you know he's finally like after all of, like this self doubt that we've seen him go through. Like we're actually starting to see him like you know this is a really talented player. Right. Um, but what I also like about it is that it also shows his weakness, his biggest weakness. Um, so we've seen how his slow pitches have been, uh, you know, have been a major asset for the team. This episode actually sort of slyly showed how they're also a weakness because it makes uh, steals are very effective against him. Yeah, exactly. Because he he throws so slow, they have a lot more time to make a steal than against a normal pitcher. Right. He can, he can still pick them off sometimes. You know, he can kind of keep them in check. But, like, if they actually go for the steal, he can't make that throw to, like, get it to base fast enough. Uh -huh. Or he may be able to, but it's a lot slower than, like, if they he had a faster pitch. Right. Um, and, you know, I kind of appreciate that. About, like, we're, we're starting to get more and more into, you know, this entire series has been built up, has been building up Mihashi as somebody who has just not had enough confidence in himself. We're kind of now at a point where we're able to, okay, he's not perfect. Yeah, um, and it, it was interesting too, I feel like they're going to start realizing that because Mahashi has such good control, they can actually start to predict his pitches a little better, because he's going to hit his spots, right. so as long as they can figure out where he's trying to pitch, there's no randomness to it, you know? Right. Right, yeah, exactly. Like, he, they're going to start figuring him out here soon. So, you know, it's starting to get to be game time, like, real game time. Like, 
Nishiura has done a great job kind of showing off, but there's uh, Tose starting to actually get into this game now. Well, yeah, it's basically that Nishiura had an advantage at the beginning because they did their homework. Um, right. But Tose has started to figure out exactly what Nishira knows about them, and they can start adjusting to it. Right, exactly. Like, the, like there's this whole sequence where the coach is, like, just absolutely losing it with the entire team. The, the coach of uh, Tose. Yeah. You know, kind of, he's just sort of screaming them silly, but, you know, there's kind of this moment where he realizes, like, like, you know, they're only realizing just now just how much they've put into this game. Like, these are not kids who were, like, who were that intimidated by them, as I'm assuming they probably thought, you know, these, these are some no, like, these are some no-name punks. They're not going to put into any effort into this game. Because, you know, they know who we are and they're just not going to try. Right. Like, because that was their assumption. It's like, they're, these are no-name punks. They're not going to try. We're a big-name school. Why would they even think that they stand a chance against us? Yeah. It is It is interesting, too, the strategy they take once they decide to get serious is to, instead of focusing on getting strong hits, they're focusing on locating ground balls. So they're aggre- actively trying to keep the ball within the infield. Um, right. Which is... It's interesting from a baseball perspective because for, like, for professional players, that's a really dumb strategy because if you're hitting ground balls, it's a lot easier to field those and it's a lot easier to get out um, based on ground balls. The one thing that mitigates that is that they recognize these are 16-year-olds. So 16-year-olds are not necessarily as effective in the infield as professional players are, right? Um, right. So they figure if they can just keep getting balls, you know, avoid getting struck out, keep getting balls in play on the ground, they'll be able to beat out enough infield hits, and they'll be able to move runners along, and they'll score kind of like a drip by drip, uh, one at a time, but, you know, make this a steady thing where the infield can't keep up with them. So I'm kind of torn on it because it, you know, Japanese baseball has a negative reputation of being too focused on bunting and, like, uh, slap ground hits. Uh, and you saw right. a lot of that in this episode, but, you know, at the end of the day, bunting and ground balls are not usually very effective. Um, but maybe for this high school team playing in the rain against 16-year-olds, it actually might be a better strategy. So I don't know. Right. Like, it gives you kind of that perspective as to why they may actually have that mentality. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, this is what makes sense. I also did like, in this episode, they did show how bunting is not always super effective. Right. Like, it, it's not always just, like, a guaranteed hit. Like, you have that, uh... Because somebody bunts and they just get it at a wrong a- angle and it just sort of pops up. Yeah, exactly. It can just become a lazy pop-up and it's an easy thing to field. Right. Um... Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I, I thought I thought it was good, but I I am interested to see what it sets up in terms of there's going to be a turn and there's going to be some real strategy changes on both sides. So I'm right. I'm excited to see how it goes. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, Matt, uh, would you like to tell me and everyone how uh, Welcome to the Ballroom went? I might be willing to do that. So, to respond to my earlier sentiments, no, I'm actually not looking forward to Welcome to the Ballroom this week. Uh, so, episode 4 covers Hyodo totally nailing the competition uh, after Fujita had subbed in for him. Uh, his final routine is the tango, 
and he just absolutely crushes this routine with Shizuku, despite his injured leg. However, uh, as it turns out, Sengoku kind of messed up because he really should not have sent out Fujita to fill in because he totally got caught, and that was totally illegal. And as a result, Hyodo gets banned for competitions for the next few months. For next six months, actually. Uh, Fujita tries to go to the uh, to the hospital to apologize to Hyodo, but as, when he gets there, he uh, Hyodo has actually abandoned his room. Uh, but he ends up running into Iwakuma before, who would actually come to visit him and tells him about how he tried to talk to Yodo before the competition, but uh, he before he had a chance to, he fell down the stairs. Uh, anyway, we find out Fujita is very frustrated with himself because he feels responsible for what happened to Hyodo because he was so compelled to compete in the ballroom dance that he just, he desperately wanted to go out there. Um... So, uh, the episode ends, actually, uh, we find out Hyodo was actually coming to visit Fujitani, or, sorry, to Fujita, and he, uh, basically gives Fujita his blessing to keep competing in his place, essentially, basically, he wants to make sure Suzu Shizuku, uh, is able to keep competing, essentially, he tells him to take care of her, essentially. Okay, so, when we started Welcome to the Ballroom, I was really excited for this, uh, it seemed like it was gonna be, like, a really fun series, and it seems like it is decently well popular. I just, I really want to like it. I really do. I have so many problems with this series, though, that I just... <sighs> okay, so, my biggest issue is Sengoku right now. You know, when he was first introduced, he seemed like he was gonna be a really fun sort of overly abrasive character, you know, the sort of, kind of like, a man's man ballroom dancer. Kind of seemed like he was almost going to be, like, this great teacher Onizuka-type character, who, you know, he, he kind of had this sort of outside vision of the ballroom dancing world, and he was going to kind of pass on his knowledge into Fujita, even though he was kind of, like, a giant man-child himself and didn't really want to relinquish that. This, like, last episode was already kind of setting in some uncomfortable things about him, about how just sort of, like, overly brutish he kind of was with uh, Shizuku. This one kind of follows up on that by being just kind of a jerk to Fujita. Like, he's constantly passing blame onto him this entire episode, being like, well, it's your fault. Like, how could you do this to Hyodo? Uh, you know, they kind of play it up a little bit as a joke because, you know, it's like, yeah, well, I mean, obviously he was the one who suggested to him in the first place to do it. Ha ha. But... No, I feel like the episode is really trying to get us to side with uh, Sengoku on this. Because, like, he genuinely seems to believe that, yeah, uh, Hyodo is gonna break his leg now because Fujita sort of inspired this in him. And Fujita is actually taking gonna take the blame on this because he ends up saying to, himself, saying to Iwakuma, it's like, it was my fault uh, because, like... I really wanted to go out there and compete, and I really shouldn't have in the first place. Even though Sengoku was trying to push him into it. Like, like Fujita tried to get out of doing it last episode, but uh, Sengoku was really pushing him to do it. And as we discover in this episode, for really no reason, like, it would have maybe made some sense if, like, he was afraid of, like, the reputation to their club like to their dance club or to their dance hall rather uh because you know he kept, because i don't know like Kyoto losing the competition might have some effect on like their sponsorship or like some of their normal support or something like that 
No, the punishment was entirely on Hyodo that happened here. Like, Hyodo's the one who gets banned. Sengoku doesn't even get any punishment for it. Like, there's nothing that happens to this ballroom studio because of Hyodo losing or getting banned. This, like, everything bad that happens is to Hyodo and Fujita. And the fact that Sengoku is sort of pushing off these issues onto them as being their fault, when he needlessly was pushing them to do this in the first place, it really irritates me. Like, I get that, I get it's supposed to be a joke to an extent, but the fact that we're, the episode sort of resolves with Fujita being forgiven by Hyodo makes me believe that the series is seriously trying to push that, yeah, Fujita flubbed up there, and it's like, it's really not his fault. I think one other issue I'm having with the series, kind of moving on here from my Sengoku rant, is that, I, again, we've, we've talked about this a little bit, we don't have enough understanding about ballroom dancing. You know, I, like, it wouldn't be a big deal if this was mostly focused on the character drama. Uh, like, I think Dive this season, for example, you know, we've kind of mentioned that as being kind of our surprise hit of the season. Well, not really. I mean, you know, between us, not in, like, actual popularity, but, uh, I think that Dive can kind of get away with not really teaching us that much about diving. Like, I don't really know what makes a great dive in that outside of, I don't know, it looks flashy and there's not much of a splash. You know, I don't know much about the mechanics of it or anything like that, but I understand it because it's not really important to the narrative. In Welcome to the Ballroom, we have all these, like, comments during Hyodo's big routine about how amazing this dance is, about just how spectacular it is. And I don't understand a lick of it. Like, there's this whole section in there where he, like, somebody comments out in the stands, like... Oh, did he hopped during a tango. Can you believe it? I don't know. Is that big for tango? Is is that a like a tango faux pas? Is that like some sort of revolutionary move? I don't know how the tango works. Like I'm pretty like maybe I maybe just maybe if this was like soccer or some sort of universal sport that most people understand. Uh, like soccer or in Japan, like baseball, something like that, where there's just this sort of inherent knowledge of all the positions, fine. I could maybe go along with that. But as a view, but ballroom dancing is not a well-known competition. It's not that mainstream. It's kind of this sort of niche activity. And they keep push pushing all of this, like, they're trying to put, like, they're constantly commenting on how amazing this ballroom dancing is and commenting on certain things that are supposed to be amazing during it. I don't understand why they are, though, because I don't understand the mechanics of it. And it's very frustrating as a viewer to constantly have the... to constantly feel like the series is sort of talking over me about this. It's just sort of like, hey, guys, get it? It's amazing. You're not... You're, you're trying to show, not tell, but it's not working. You do need to have a little bit of tell in there. Like... I guess they're trying to lean somewhat on the animation, which is generally still pretty impressive to sort of convey how incredible this is. But that only works so far, especially because this is not a... Like, ballroom dancing is kind of supposed to be this elegant sort... Like, that is sort of my... That's sort of the image I have of ballroom dancing in my head. It's a sort of elegant activity. Uh, or, you know, in some cases, like the tango, you know, it's a sort of intense 
you know, passionate, like, movement. And I... They're not really putting in the work to convey that. I, I think the series is sort of stuck in between trying to tell a character drama and trying to tell a sports series. And it's, it's kind of trying to do both, and it's not meeting either one in either way. It, it's not me... It, it's not joining these two concepts together. Like, it's kind of stuck in the middle, and it's sort of getting split down the middle, and it doesn't know how to resolve this, I feel like. I, I want... I feel like the only really interesting character is Hyodo, and it feels like he's about to leave now. Like, there was a sort of big goodbye from him to Fujita, basically being like this sort of passing of the torch moment between the two of them. And that's a shame, because I'm way more interested in Hyodo's story than I am in Fujita. I really don't care about Fujita. I really don't get his deal. I kind of get what they're going for for Fujita. I know what he wants, but I... You know, I've, I've talked about this a lot, but I, I don't understand why he wants that entirely. Um, one final just quick note I want to make here, kind of going along the lines of this whole, like, character drama. It, not, like, trying to convey a sports series. The series is showing, like, these gigantic stadium halls for ballroom dancing. And, like, how it should, like, you know, they have all these people out in the stands commenting about how amazing Kyoto's dance is. Again, I kind of feel like ballroom dancing is sort of a niche activity. Even for, like, big competitions, you're not, I don't feel like you're going to get these gigantic sprawling stadium halls for it where you get, like, tens of thousands of people watching. I, I kind of feel like it's, you're going to get... I don't know. I don't know. Maybe because this is, like, a giant competition, I guess. But I also kind of feel like most, like, in that sort of situation, the people who are going to be going to that are not necessarily going to understand the mechanics of ballroom dancing. I mean, they're going to see the flashy stuff. But again, everybody in the stadium, in the stands is just sort of commenting, oh, wow, you know, this is what they're doing. Like, wow, I can't believe they just did that. And it's like, the audience is, like, the audience during these sorts of games is sort of, tends to play as a stand-in for the viewer to kind of help. they're kind of going along the journey with you sort of come there's they sort of vocalize your own thoughts and i kind of feel like they're not doing their job in that regard the, the series is kind of failing to predict how the viewer is actually going to be understanding uh these moment-to-moment -moment situations um and i i think that might be where my big problem is uh, Matt, last episode kind of commented on how this series feels like we're, like, six episodes in and we are only on episode four. Uh, but hey, speaking of extra episodes, why don't I talk about Welcome to the Ballroom episode five? Okay, so we had kind of an unforeseen issue this week. Uh, we did not realize that Welcome to the Ballroom was going to have two episodes this week. Largely because that doesn't happen. I don't think we have ever actually had... A week where they just decided to air two episodes of the same series. There have been some times when we had to play catch-up uh, for certain series, but we've never had it where they've actually aired two episodes. So I'm going to be doing double duty and doing episode five on my own as well. Okay, so this episode begins where the last one left off. I didn't mention it in my summary for episode four, but the episode ends with a mysterious girl rushing into the into the dance club, uh, telling Shizuku to be careful. Uh... And this guy bursts in basically proclaiming that he's going to be Shizuku's partner now that Hyodo's done with. Uh, his name is Gaju. Uh, he is a 
decent dancer. He has been ranked in, like, I think around five or so in certain cups, but has not been able to pursue any further. Uh, so thus he <clears throat> very br boldly proclaims Shizuku is going to be his partner. And she does. She gives in. She's more than happy to do it, apparently. Uh, she is actually very sick of Hyodo uh, because he is constantly concealing his feelings. Not only that, she's very upset with Sengoku because she has figured out that Sengoku was purposely trying to sabotage Hyodo uh, last episode or over the Mikasa Cup competition that we just saw by forcing uh, Fujita to go out and basically basically get Hyodo permanently disqualified to an extent so that he wouldn't be able to compete anymore. Uh, so what we discover is that Mako, uh, Gaju's sister, really wants to dance with Fujita because he is apparently much more considerate than her brother and you uh, her brother and Gaju will not be Mako's partner unless she gets a lot better, until she gets better than uh, Shizuku. And uh, for the first time, Fujita manages to boldly proclaim that he will be her Mako's partner and that they will together take down Gaju. Okay, so I have a confession to make. Uh, when I recorded this stuff on episode 4, I had not seen this episode yet. I went ahead and took a break. I recorded that one, came back, uh, watched the new one, the new episode five, and then came back to record this. Um, I thought I had the series figured out almost like not like what it all means necessarily. Like I kind of figured out that I wasn't gonna like it, and then I got this episode, and suddenly I'm a lot more positive on it. I do have some small issues. I'll get into those for a moment, but I think what I like about this is that we finally have an established goal here. Fujita needs to take down Gaju. Great. We finally got to see some character growth from Fujita as well. He's finally starting to take some initiative uh, because he actually does uh, agree to Mako. He actually does very proudly state he's going to take down Gaju. Like, that's his goal. He wants to show Mako that she can be as good as Shizuku. Great. Okay, finally, I have a reason to cheer for them because, frankly, they really do a great job of portraying Gaju as kind of a prick. Um, in fact, if I'm going to be on, honest, I don't know. Maybe this is something that everybody in the Welcome to the Ballroom fan fandom has mentioned. Maybe I've just been stupid and haven't noticed this until just this episode. This is a relationship metaphor, isn't it? Like, Shizuku and Hyodo were kind of this inseparable couple. Uh, Shizuku couldn't take uh, Hyodo's crap anymore. Finally breaks it off with him. And now, while she's emotionally damaged, we get this sort of cocky, like, jerk sort of trying to take advantage of her vulnerability and sort of struts in and tries to catch her on the rebound. And her being kind of emotionally confused agrees. Uh, uh, so Fujita kind of needs to learn to step it up so he can finally kind of protect Shizuku. I don't know how I actually feel about that, to be honest. I, I think it's a little outdated, if I'm going to be frank here, I, I don't really like the idea that everybody's sort of disregarding Shizuku's own feelings on this matter. Like, you know, maybe this is something she just needs to do uh, for her to kind of get over Hyodo at first. Uh, but you know what? Honestly, I'm still okay. I, I'm mostly okay with it because I, I, the series doesn't necessarily have to go in that direction because honestly, from what I've seen... It feels like Fujita and Mako make a better pairing than Fujita and Shizuku anyway. I'm not going to get into pairing wars here, okay? I'm just saying that from what I've seen, Mako... 
they seem to be more supportive of one another than Shizuku and has been to Fujita. Like, she sort of feels like she's supposed to be this sort of unattainable goal, and I don't like the idea that Shizuku is sort of being placed in this sort of trophy position. Like, you know, this is supposed to... Like, Shizuku is the natural end goal, but he, you know, he's going to get with the, with the hot girl at the very end. And, you know, I, but the series doesn't necessarily have to go that way. They've had some implications that Shizuku is kind of getting sick of being sort of... Having her feelings sort of cast by the wayside, especially because of Sengoku's thoughtlessness by, you know, not even talking to her about this manner. And I don't feel like... You know what? I'm going I'm to get into this real quick as well. I appreciate the fact that we finally got to see some comeuppance for, so, uh, for Sengoku based on his actions from the previous episode. Uh, I like the fact that Tamaki is finally, like, sort of, like, calling him out on his garbage. Like, she's like, yeah, you know what? You, you're going to teach uh, Mako and Fujita how to do this dance because it was your fault for uh, Fujita having to step in in the first place. Okay, great. Finally, I feel like Sengoku is starting to become more of a real person. Somebody who can actually be controlled by somebody. Somebody who, act, you know, Tamaki is clearly the one that he responds to. Uh, and you know what? I I'm glad that not everybody is just willing to, like, kind of let him be, like, basically act as king of the dance studio and sort of let him have his own way. I, I appreciate having that sort of balance with Tamaki. Uh, and I think that works out a lot better. Uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm more excited now for Welcome to the Ballroom after this episode. I do feel like you could have done some of this a little bit earlier. I'm not entirely sure why it took so long to even get into this. Like, I feel like they could have done a lot of, uh, Sengoku's explanation or at least his reasoning for why he had Fujita sub in for Hyodo. Like at the moment, like, maybe some implications there, because I feel like, I feel like we're sort of, like, only now am I finally understanding everything that's been going on. I still don't really quite get how the dance works, but I, I, I'm more comfortable now with the idea, because this episode did show some of, they showed more dancing and how it somewhat works about how Fujita takes the lead with her and how his keen eye is sort of how he's able to do these maneuvers. Uh, you know, how he's able to sort of respond to her emotion. Like, I, I feel like there's... We finally have something of a basis now for the series to expand upon. Again, I would have liked a lot more of this sooner. Fujita's keen eye has always been sort of implied based on his, you know, discussions with his grandma and announcing things uh, from the sumo matches and everything. But I, I don't know. I... I I don't feel like all of my complaints from last episode have necessarily gone away. I I feel like this series could be doing more work, or should have done more work for us to get to this point uh, before this episode. But you know what? Now that we're here, I'm happy with it. Could keep improving on itself, but you know what? I'm actually excited now. And speaking of things I'm actually not really that excited for, let's talk about Dive Episode 4. Uh, so this episode largely covers just a practice session that uh, Tomo has with a bunch of the other boys from a di from different uh, diving clubs. Uh, the major one that we get in this episode is Atsuhiko. Uh, he is a very talented diver who uh, has proclaimed himself to be a rival of Yoichi. Uh, 
However, his biggest issue is that he does kind of get a bit of stage fright. He, he kind of gets overwhelmed by competition, uh, and that lets that kind of gets to his nerves. Uh, not only that, but otherwise, the, you get three other characters. You get, like, Jiro, who, uh, who apparently has very... who clearly attempts very flashy dives, but doesn't really... but he's never really quite able to succeed. You have uh, Matsuno, who's technically impressive, who's technically very qualified, but isn't a very flashy or interesting diver. Uh, and then you get uh, Toshihiku, uh, who seems to be sort of the everyman, the the sort of like, I, I don't know, I didn't really get a great sense of his personality, to be honest, in this episode. Uh, the episode ends, though, with Tomo coming upon uh, one of his friends from the diving club, who has finally sort of lost it after trying to talk to Coach Asaki about maybe teaching him the uh, the three-and-a-half dive that she's teaching uh, Tomo, and uh, he sort of, uh, she di she won't let him do it, or she won't teach him, because, frankly, he's not ready for it. So he finally loses it on Tomo, and, and basically tells him, like, I'm so sick of your naivete, like, you're so optimistic and think that everything is going, like, you know, because you're having this great experience with diving, everybody else is having this great experience. You don't seem to understand how ruthless and, like, heartless the world of competition is. You're really impressed by these other, like... Colorful personalities, guess what? They're all in it to win it, okay? So maybe, you know, maybe sort of, like, get over yourself, okay? Uh, overall, I did not care for this episode. I, I thought that this was a bit of a weaker one, uh, except for the ending, which I will get into later. Um, so I think Dive has generally worked at its best when it has been, when it stayed kind of true to life. Uh, I don't think it works very well when it tries to go into a bit more of a tropey anime route. It, it sort of belittles the sort of grounded feel that the series has been able to keep up for this long. Uh, so what, what I mean by that is uh, I, I think Atsuhiko, uh, Atsu, Atsuhiko is the probably the most emblemic of this, or symbolic rather. Uh, he's such... He's too much of a character, I feel like, because his whole thing is that he's super confident, he's super boisterous, and yet, but, you know, he has this sort of goofy trope where, you know, the way they portray it, you know, with the sort of, like, comedic overreactions, the sort of, like, super deformed nature that he sort of assumes whenever he, uh, he's getting ignored by Yoichi, uh, or, you know, the, his, the way it's his sort of stage fright is sort of comedically portrayed with him just sort of completely freezing up and being super nervous all the time. It's too... It feels weird saying this for an anime, but it's too anime, almost. Like, it, it kind of cuts into the believability and the sort of... It's hard for me to buy into this world after, you know, it's put in all this work to kind of get you to kind of believe in all of these different characters. Uh, you know, believe that these could actually be real people. And then you have these walk... You know, you kind of have this sort of almost walking trope uh, come in and sort of like... You know, sort of intrude on the series and, you know, his lifelong rivalry with Yoichi and how he's always... It's like... This story is not that interesting, okay? I've seen it before, and it's not really doing anything new with it. The only thing I will say is that I did appreciate that Yoichi did mention how talented Atsuhiku is, 
but that he, uh, you know, he just, you know, I, I do like the stage fright aspect, you know, because that is a thing, you know, there are some genuinely talented people out there who, you know, who aren't as good as they could be just due to nerves. You know, I, I think that's a fine angle. I, the series has built itself up enough that I'm willing to give it a bit of the benefit of the doubt that they may explore that a little bit later. As it is, though, I, I kind of feel like this episode sort of knocked down some of my impressions I have had with the series. Uh, I, there's also this whole thing, like, with... Like, the other characters who are there as well and that you spend most of the time with, they kind of go into them a little bit. Like, uh, Matsuno kind of has this whole thing about how, you know, he's second place all the time, which sounds like it wouldn't be too bad, except, you know, he's he never is actually getting what he wants, which is to actually win. Uh... Which, you know, again, is nice, I guess, but uh, again, I don't know. I wasn't, I don't really know who, Mat you know, these characters who are meant to be personal, like, purposely boring, it's such a hard line to tread, like, to actually, like, because their entire point is to be boring. Like, how do you make that interesting when they're supposed to be boring? The, the only time I can even think of that's worked is uh, the main character in Baby Steps, but, you know, that's maybe a discussion for another time. Um, but I will say, uh, what brought it right back up for me, though, is that ending with that discussion with between Tomo and his friend, because I think that kind of brought back that sort of more realistic feel to it. It almost kind of felt like it was using this, like, the first, I don't know, like, three-fourths of the episode to sort of build up this almost sort of anime fantasy land. It's like, oh, look at all these grand personalities who are in swimming. Doesn't this look fun? And I kind of like that sort of sense of reality that his friend brought in. It's like, look... These guys seem like they're cool guys to you, I'm sure, but, you know, they are, like, they are going to be just as cutthroat as all of them because they are all set out to one thing, and that is to win. And you got to get over yourself in thinking that everybody's just having this grand old buddy-buddy time playing, uh, playing di like, diving group with one another. Uh, and, you know, I, I, what I like about that, too, is that, you know, you kind of see where he's... He, you know that he's overreacting because, you know, he's not necessarily deserving i guess like okay okay so he has already been built up as you know he's not putting in the effort himself uh however what does work but so you know you know that he's kind of overreacting as a result uh because you know he's not actually putting in any of the work so you know he's not exactly coming from a wrong like he's not exactly coming from a place of knowledge himself because you know he's not actually do you know he's not doing what tomo's at least trying to do at the same time you do understand where he's coming from because he's not wrong like tomo needs a sense like tomo is sort of losing himself in his diving and he's not really seeing the reality in front of him like i like that i almost kind of like that sort of generic anime that they were sort of building up there for a little bit uh only to kind of drive us right back home to sort of cut through our expectations there um i kind of get why the series doesn't work for a lot of people like because i it's not the most interesting anime out there it, it it's not the most colorful one and it's not the most like immediately impressive one uh because you know the animation's not exactly stand out uh the boys are probably a little too young for like free type fans to you know really sort of get into or anything like that. But, you know, I 
I weirdly enough, even though I thought this episode wasn't great, I think this was sort of a great standout episode for me as well, simply because of that speech at the end and kind of why I'm sort of like, you know what, maybe check this out almost based on how it's trying to cut your expectations like that. Okay, cool. Well, I think that actually kind of wraps it up for me this week. Uh, so, uh, thanks for being on our question of the week, Stephanie. Uh, thanks for the questions again, Matt L. Uh, we always do appreciate any questions uh, pe that people send our way. I know I said this at the beginning of the episode, but I thought I'd just reiterate it at the end. Uh, remember that email is koshiancast at gmail.com. Uh, Matt and I will be back next week with a more normal episode. This has been kind of an interesting uh, week for both of us here. Uh, cool. So, hey, have a good one, guys. Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Koshiencast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiencast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training. <laughs>